Well, good evening, y'all. It's good, every, it's good to see everybody here tonight. Um, once again, so glad that y'all are here. If this, if this is your first time, uh, I'm excited to see you. You're kind of coming in in the middle of a series, which is perfectly fine. Uh, but for those who have not been here, I want to kind of share where we're at and what we're currently doing. So right now we're doing a series called Tough Questions. And the goal of this series is to see what questions y'all have. And so what we did is we got questions from people in the audience about what would they like to hear a biblical stance on? What would they like to hear God's word talk about? What would they like to hear um, answered? And so uh, two weeks ago, or I guess three weeks ago, because we had the snow day, uh, three weeks ago, we talked about what is God's calling on your life? How can you know what his will for you actually is? And then we had the snow day, I guess you, if you can even call it the snow day, we had the snow absence because of the icy roads and whatnot. And then last week we talked about what is a biblical stance on alcohol and partying. And so we looked at God's word to see, okay, what do we see here? Um, what principles do we have? And then this week, the question is, how can I rejuvenate my faith when I'm struggling? How can I rejuvenate my faith when I'm struggling? A lot of people ask this question and our leadership team who voted on the top five questions, uh, this is one of the higher ones that they picked as well. How can we rejuvenate our faith when we are struggling? As I was thinking about this and trying to prepare this message, I realized that so much about God's word is about how to rejuvenate our faith. So much about his word really does show us this. Um, and so the goal for tonight is to be as practical as I can possibly, possibly be to show you how. What are ways how does this really work? How can this be played out? And so that's the goal. Um, and I think it starts with this, y'all. We have to understand, first and foremost, our faith is a relationship. The, the Christian faith is based on having a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not just based on a set of beliefs. It's not just based on a set of, let me just say, I like these five principles, this, that, or the other. Our, our faith is based on a relationship. So we have to understand, whenever our faith is struggling, there's a relationship that's struggling, and it's our relationship with the Lord. <clears throat> Before I get into talking about how can we rejuvenate our faith, I want to answer this. Why do we struggle? Like, why do we struggle in our faith? I mean, in some ways, it seems nonsensical, because if we really think about what did Jesus do for us, if we really say, I'm a follower of Jesus, then we really recognize he gave us his everything. We recognize that he says that if we seek to save our life, we'll lose it. If we lose our life for his sake, then we'll save it. So in some ways, it's almost like how in the world could we struggle with this? But we all do, right? At some point, if you're a follower of Jesus, you'll struggle in your faith. But the question is, is why? It can be from Numerous different things. It can be struggling with apathy. It can be struggling with being busy, just having a schedule where we're just tired. We're worn out. We've read enough for school. We don't have time to read the Bible after we've read so much for school, as some people might say. I don't know if I believe that fully or not, but um, busyness. Our, our schedules are loaded with things. Selfishness. That's one of the reasons. We, we start looking at our faith being all about us and not about God and not about serving others. And so we start to struggle. Life, right? Tough situations. All of us at some point are going to be in a tough spot, whether it's a breakup or it's a death in the family or it's family problems by themselves or it's depression or it's anxiety or it's money struggles, whatever it is, you can just compile the list. Life comes at us fast and it doesn't usually have a warning sign. Hey, struggles are coming. Be prepared, right? 
And so the question is not if we're going to struggle. We know we're going to struggle. We have all kinds of reasons that we struggle. The question is, is how do we get out of it? How do we make it through? How can we rejuvenate our faith when we're struggling? And what I want to do tonight is I want to look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, a, a passage that I'm sure is familiar to many of you. And once again, like I said, I, I honestly made probably 10 different outlines, and this is nothing like any of those outlines. And so like I was working all around of saying, how could we really address this? Um, and I think one of the things that I like about this passage is I think it's extremely practical. It's pretty straightforward. But it really does help us answer the question of how do we rejuvenate our faith whenever we're struggling. So Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 say this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I just ask that you would be with us tonight, God, that you would speak through me, that you would speak through your word. Lord, help us look at a topic that really is so prevalent among us, God. We struggle. We struggle. Help us, Lord, see how can we make it through? How can we thrive even in the midst of struggle? How can we rejuvenate our faith, Lord, whenever we're having a difficult time? Ask all this, Lord, in your name. Amen. All right, so what, what I, I really want to do is I want to look at four different questions. Basically, I'm going to use this text and just ask four questions to help. If you're struggling, if you go through a struggle in your faith, when you go through a struggle in your faith, I want you to be able to walk away and say, okay, I can ask myself these questions and at least have a general sense and idea of if, uh, how I can rejuvenate my faith. The first question is this, what is hindering your faith? What is hindering your faith? You could say, why are you struggling? We need to be able to pinpoint what really is going on. If we're struggling in our faith, there's a reason, right? So 1A says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, just to start off, chapter 11 is called the hall of faith. It's about these great men and women of God and how their faith is what led them to leave godly lives. Their faith is what led them to leave a legacy, And how now, based on what we've seen in their faith, we must have faith. And so he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Y'all, whenever I was in high school, um, I guess it was my sophomore year of high school, I discovered something about myself. And it was kind of difficult at first, but I realized that I was an idiot. Like, I was an idiot. Um... Now, it's not in most ways many of you might realize that. It's not like I made a stupid decision to go do something here, and I'm like, why, why in the world would I do this? It was um, the morning of my very first cross-country practice, and I realized I'm about to run five miles for what? Like, just for fun? I can remember I had one of my friends, every single cross-country meet our 10th grade, 11th grade, and 12th grade year, we would look at each other at the starting line, and we'd go, what are we doing? Like, why are we doing this to ourselves? And I really think he was crazy because he would laugh while he was saying it. I don't know why I'm doing it. I'm like, okay, that's really strange. But I found out I'm crazy. Like, why would I just go run just for the fun of it? Running is difficult. It's hard. It takes a lot of practice. I used to have to wake up at 530 to get to the school at 540 for my morning runs and stuff. It was just brutal. I don't know why I would do that to myself. 
And what we see here is we see the writer talking about how life is a race that we are called to run. We're called to run it. And not just run it, but there's certain things about this race that we need to do to be able to run it well. Another thing about cross country that was always difficult for me is you show up in as long of pants and a long sleeve shirt as you can, because typically it's cold whenever you start running cross country. And then you have to get in the skimpiest, shortest shorts you could possibly have, and then hardly nothing for a top or whatnot, and you freeze if it was cold or whatnot. But the whole purpose of that was so that you would be weightless. The goal of the clothes whenever you run is so that you wouldn't have much weight. If you did track, you'll notice that any track shoes you bought were practically weightless. If you ever watch the Olympics, you'll notice these guys wear big coats and whatnot, and they'll wear um, suits or whatnot before they actually have to run. Then whenever they go to run, they take it all off. It's, It's because they're taking off anything, any weight, anything that could keep them from running the race as best as they possibly could. And this is where the author starts. He's saying, you have to identify what is hindering you. He says, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And so weight, what does that mean? What does it mean to lay aside a weight? You see, the truth is, is all of us have weights in our lives. There are things that hold you back from living your faith the way you need to. Now, a weight isn't necessarily sin. These aren't one-to-one. Weights can be something that isn't bad. It just hinders you from following the Lord. Let me explain what I mean a little bit more. TV shows, they're not bad, but if we spend three hours a day watching TV shows, but we don't have enough time to read God's word, then it's a weight, right? It's something that's holding us back. It's something that we're choosing to spend time here, and it's negatively affecting our walk with the Lord. That's what a weight is. One word I would give you for weights, in most cases, they are distractions, whether it be from TV to movies, not always with relationships, but sometimes relationships take precedence over everything. Sometimes it is school. It's this idea that, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best in school and I'm going to put all my time to that. And sometimes it can become a weight in our relationship with the Lord. The whole point of what's trying to be made here is that there are things that hold us down and that hold us back. Some things we need to get rid of so we can run this race better. Some things we need to manage so we can run this race better. Y'all experienced this firsthand. This was tough for me. I'm an Xboxaholic, if that's a word or a phrase or whatnot. Like literally, I can remember one point in college whenever me and my friend were like, I wonder how much we've played Call of Duty. And we looked and it was like 71 days worth of online gaming. I was like, holy cow, 71 days of my life has been spent staring at a screen and wrecking shop. It was worth it. No, I didn't say that at all. Like I didn't say that at all. Though a good KD always felt good, but that's not the point. So, but I realized, man, I cannot have an Xbox around me without me wanting just to sit down and forget life and play Xbox. I'm still that way. Some guys know that I'm still that way. If you've played Xbox with me, I'm all about it. And a month after I came to faith, if you don't know my story, I came to faith whenever I was 22. A month after I came to faith, I had to come to a conclusion that I could not control how much I played Xbox. And I did the craziest thing at that moment. I sold it. I got rid of it. Now, TV shows, it's not that way for me. I can watch a TV show, two TV shows a week, and I'm fine. Like, it's not that way for me. I can manage that. Now, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean I, I can't do more than that. I'm just saying I can manage that. Fine. So there's a difference in weights that you'll find in your life. There's some things you need to get rid of 
because you can't manage it and it's holding you back. And there's some things you can manage and you need to recognize what, is, what are these things that are vying for my time, that are taking from my time and how can I manage them better? Another weight is just busyness. Y'all, we, we live in a culture where we like to fill our schedules as full as we possibly can to where anything good is drowned out. We do. Oftentimes we are so busy with other things that we don't have time for the things that actually matter. Like I said last week, this is a principle I like to live in my life. Five years from now, whenever I look back, what in my life will I say, man, I would just wish that that just doesn't matter. Why did I spend so much time doing that? That's a weight. And so for you, if you're struggling, when you struggle, what is weighing you down? What is holding you back? The second thing we see is he says, lay aside every weight and sin. So not only do weights hold us back, but sin holds us back from running this race that we've been called to run. Sin holds us back. I don't think I have to explain this a whole lot, but like I said earlier, sometimes we struggle with apathy, just feeling like, man, I'm, I've been around church so much, I've been around the Bible, I've been around this stuff so much, and honestly, it, it, it just, I don't really see a need for it, or I'm not really feeling anything with this, I'm not getting anything out of this. We just get apathetic toward God, and we start thinking things about Him or His Word that are wrong. We sin against the Lord. Maybe it is tough seasons. In tough seasons, whenever difficult things happen in your life, you'll notice sometimes the first thing you do instead of running to God is you question Him. You say, God, are you really all-powerful? God, are you really protective? God, are you really here? Are you really around? And instead of in the midst of our struggle running to God, we let tough seasons drive a wedge in between us which make us sin against the Lord and say, God, where are you? Because you're not here. We see other things. Maybe it's selfishness. Like I said earlier, we, oftentimes we tend to make our faith all about us, how we look, what we can get out of it. If I read my Bible and I can't walk away with my face glowing or getting something out of it, then I'm not going to do it. It's about me. Prayer becomes about us instead of about spending time with God. Church becomes about us instead of edifying other people, encouraging each other. And we become very selfish in our faith. And then sin in general. You know, anything that we know is right that we're not doing, or anything wrong that we just continually do, it, it, it doesn't separate you from the Lord, but it places a barrier between you and God. And when there's a barrier between you and the Lord, obviously you're going to be struggling in your faith. Once again, faith for us is a relationship. And when something steps in the middle of that relationship, you're going to struggle. So you have to identify what are the weights in my life? What is the sin in my life? And just a quick word about sin, y'all. This was something I struggled with for the longest. I did not take sin seriously enough. I just didn't. I didn't think of sin as this awful thing. I thought of sin as something that I struggle with, but thank goodness I got a God who gives me grace and mercy. I didn't think of sin as something that could truly infiltrate my life and take over my life and ruin my life and wreck my relationships and wreck my relationship with the Lord. But we need to understand if there's sin that is clinging closely, listen to the way that the author says it, and sin which clings so closely, we need to get rid of it. We need to let it go. John Stott, a theologian, I love the way he puts this. He says, sin and the child of God are incompatible. They may occasionally meet, but they cannot live together in harmony. We have to look, is there a weight or a sin that's making us struggle? That's the reason that we are struggling. 
And then we need to repent. That's where it begins. You can go no further until you start here. Repentance. Repentance recognizes, God, the struggle is not because of you. It's because of me. It's not that you've changed or you've moved or anything about you is different, but it's me that's changed. It's me that's moved. It's me that is sinning. And repentance is wanting to turn from your sin, wanting to actually follow what you're saying about the weights in your life, letting them go and running towards the Lord. We need to repent. We need to realize what is holding us back. What is hindering your faith? The second question I want to ask is this. How are you pursuing growth in your faith? How are you pursuing growth in your faith? Once again, notice he says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set before us. Run with endurance. There's a race to be run. And so whenever our faith is struggling, we have to recognize it's not only are we supposed to look at the weights and the sin, but we are to get ready to run. We're to get ready to grow. We're not only to deal with the weight and sin, but we're to actively seek to grow closer to the Lord. We're to actively seek to know him more. To put it simply, in order to rejuvenate our faith, we need to make sure we're exercising it. We need to make sure that we're living it out and that we are doing it. Hopefully, most of you have had better luck with hurting your body than I have because I've had a slew of injuries in my life. And last year, uh, playing basketball with one of the guys here, ended up having my left shoulder dislocated, which does not feel good in case you're wondering. And I can remember whenever I went to the doctor, they put my shoulder back into place. But then they said, okay, well, you're all good with that, but now you got to do physical therapy for this long and work on this. Your muscles are damaged. Your tendons are damaged. All these things are damaged. You need to make sure that you strengthen them back up. It's not enough just to put it back in place. You need to now strengthen it. And this is what the author is saying is not only are we supposed to put aside the weight and the sin, but we're also to look and see, okay, how can we strengthen our faith? How can we strengthen this? How can we grow in our faith? We see 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, train yourself in godliness. We see Colossians 2, 6 says, therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus, so walk in him, rooted and built up and established in your faith. We're not just called to put off the sin and the weights and then stand here stagnant, but we're to actively pursue the Lord. But the problem is, as many of you know, if you've ever been to a race, the vast majority of the people at the race aren't running. The vast majority are watching. Now, they may be cheering people on, but if you go to a marathon, there are a lot of people that show up just to watch people run. They love to see people in pain, I guess. I'm not sure. But there's a lot of people there that are just watching, and it's the same in the Christian faith. So many times in our lives we say, man, I'm a follower of Jesus. I love Jesus, but we're not actively seeking to run the race, and we're going to struggle. We're going to feel separated from God. We're not going to see his hand move in our lives. We're not going to see where he's leading and guiding us because we're not trying to run the race he set before us. And so what I'm going to tell you about how we can grow is something that you already know. But once again, hopefully I can help and show you how. How do you rejuvenate your faith? How can you do this? So one of the first ways that I'm sure you know you need to grow is you need to read God's word. You've got to be in God's word. I heard this all of my life. And y'all, I struggled with it. Once again, I, I came to faith whenever I was 22 and then I still had people telling me, hey, you need to read God's word. You need to read God's word. But my problem was is I would read it and I would go, holy cow, I have no clue what I just read. 
And then I had somebody say, look, you don't have to start there. Start with a book. And so I got a Christian book. And I read a chapter a day. And I let somebody in that book teach me how to apply God's word. And then I went from just reading a book, whether it be not a fan or crazy love or something like that, ended up reading books that were actually about people in the Bible. Specifically, they're by a guy named Charles Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll. He wrote character studies. And I read about the life of David. And I saw how did he read God's word? And I saw how you read Old Testament and understand it, how you read New Testament and understand it. But I still struggled to read God's word by myself. And then I had a guy give me a book called 30 Days to Understanding the Bible. 30 Days to Understanding the Bible. He said, look, Merrick, I'm telling you, if you read this book, you can say, this is what Genesis starts as, and you can take somebody all the way through God's word and say, this is how it ends in Revelation. I was like, no way. Like, you're telling me it's that simple. He's like, I'm telling you, you read this book, and you'll be able to say, this is the story of the Bible. I can take you through all of it. You want to talk about Habakkuk? Let's talk. Nehemiah? Let's talk. You want to talk about whatever? Let's talk. And I got it, and I read it, and it was unbelievable. I'd heard of these people named, you know, David and Daniel and Solomon and I don't know who else, Abraham and Moses and all these different people, but I didn't know where to place them. I didn't know the story of God. So whenever I read the Old Testament, I was in the middle of a story. I had no clue what it was talking about. And this book really helped me. And from that, I got the encouragement and the courage to say, I'm just going to start reading God's word. And the more I read it, the more I noticed this is changing me. The more I read it, I noticed, man, like I understand what's going on here. I read 1 Peter. I don't understand all of it, but then I'd read it again and again. And whether it might be a chapter a day, which I tried sometimes. Sometimes I struggle with that. I would read just from a paragraph a day, and I would just say, you know, what can I get from this? What can I see here? And so what I'm saying about this is I want to encourage you to be in God's word. Just something for you to write down. Psalm 19, 7 through the end of it, which is verse 14, it tells you about the power of God's word. Go read it sometime. But it talks about how perfect and great and grand it is and how it can revive your soul. It can rejoice your heart. It can enlighten your eyes. It can do all these things for you. We have our answers in God's word. We just have to do it. And the last thing maybe just to encourage you with God's word is there's a method that a lot of people like to use. It's called the REAP method. I actually have it up on the screen of, if you say, I read God's word and I just don't know what to do, I want to encourage you, try this. The read method is just where you read a passage of God's word and you say, okay, I read it, now I'm going to explain it. And you just say what you just read in your own words. And if you can't, then you read it again. And you say, okay, this is what just happened. I'm going to explain it. Then after you explain it, the A is apply. You say, okay, how can I apply this to my life now? And the P is prayer. It's called the reap method. That's something that really helped me. So how can you rejuvenate your faith? Maybe your struggle is, you know, I just struggle to read the Bible. I want to encourage you to use this. If, if you try some of these things and you need more help, please come talk to me. I'd love to help any way that I can, but we've got to be in God's word. Secondly, we need to pray. Once again, something that you've heard plenty of times before, but oftentimes we forget that if prayer really is what it says it is, then what kind of power does it possess? If prayer really does mean I'm talking to the God of the universe, then what kind of power is in prayer? But one of the things I struggle with is I'd start to pray. Maybe you, maybe you know where I'm at. I'd pray, and 15 seconds in, I'd be thinking about homework. Okay, that's a lie. 15 seconds in, I'd be thinking about video games. I'd be thinking about a TV show. I'd be thinking about what I'm going to do that day. I'd be thinking about my problems. 
But then I had somebody show me just kind of a way that they prayed. Pastor Chris showed me some of this, and then I've added a few things to it that I've learned from, another, from other people. This is one of the ways that I find prayer can really be beneficial. Whenever I'm struggling, I just get this outline. I say, okay, first I'm going to start by praising God just for who he is, not having anything to do with me, just praising God for who he is. Secondly, I'm going to get my heart right with others. You would be amazed at how much this will change your life whenever you actively say in the last 24 hours, who have I been rude to? Who have I been mean to? Who have I talked wrongly about or wrongly to? Y'all, for ministry, this has done a world for me. I didn't realize how much I maybe used my mouth against other people on accident or things that I said that I might have meant joking, but I could tell it hurt them. And I never thought about it again until I said, Lord, help me get my heart right with others. Where have I hurt other people? And then I repent and confess my own sin. And then Fourth, I thank God. Now, this is whenever you talk about God in relation to you. I thank him for my family and for everything that he's given us. And then next, I intercede for other people. That's whenever I pray for y'all. That's whenever I pray for people on my leadership team. That's whenever I pray for my family, my, my wife's family, my extended family, my friends, people that are going through things. And then I pray for myself. And lastly, probably one of the most life-changing things is I pray for obedience. Say, God, I'm going to be honest. Even though I do all this stuff, even though I read, I'll walk out of here and I'll do something stupid. I struggle. Give me the grace to be obedient to you today. And my mentor taught me, you know what you learn to do? You learn at the end of the day to look back and go, thank you for the good days. God, because it was because of you. It wasn't because of me. Thank you. This is just one of the ways that I praise. Hopefully that is helpful. Next thing I want to tell you is you got to be in community. So you need God's word. You need to be in prayer. You need to be in biblical community. The thing about community, y'all, is it was God's idea. It's not ours. You don't enjoy friendships. You don't enjoy, enjoy relationships just because you enjoyed them. That was God's design. And what I want to tell you is a biblical community can do more for you than you could ever imagine. God's word speaks oftentimes about whenever we're struggling, we need to tell others about it. We need to be around fellow believers. Let them help us. Let them walk with us. Not only do we need to do that, but we need to serve as much as we can. We need to be in and around the church and serving, using our gifts as much as we can. Serving because the Lord has blessed us with gifts. Whatever it looks like, we need to serve. The more you serve, the more you recognize your faith is not about you, but it's about God. Coming just to a service isn't so much just about you. Yes, it's for you, but it's also for the person sitting next to you that needs encouragement, that maybe you say hey to afterwards, that maybe sees you worshiping and says, you know what, I want to worship like that. It's encouraging each other, being in community. We need all three of these things. And we need these in order to come out of struggling times. Just real quick, how many of you have ever been a part of a D-Now weekend or a discipleship weekend or a youth retreat? Okay, literally most everybody's hand goes up. Now, here's the thing. Whenever you leave those or whenever you're in the midst of those, oftentimes you think, man, like if I could feel like this all the time, if I could be like this with my faith all the time, you just have this rejuvenated feeling, right? Am I right? I mean, most people say, man, it's just, I'm in a good spot. I know friends that don't even believe in the Lord that would come and they would even be a part of it. And it was like, they would love it. Then they would leave. And the whole point that I'm trying to say is why do you think a D-Now weekend or a youth retreat weekend is so powerful? It's because you put these three together and they're the focus for 48 hours. You put God's word above everything. You study it, you memorize it, you meditate it, you read on it, you hear it preached. 
You pray. You spend time praying for each other, talking to each other. You, can, you, you spend time in community. You're confessing stuff. I remember denials were some of the times whenever I really confessed things in my life. You see what community looks like. And the thing is, is that doesn't have to end whenever you leave from a weekend. You can get communion with God by yourself. You can pray to God by yourself, but you also still have community that you need to walk with, that you need to stand beside, and that you need to rely on. And so what is hindering your faith? Secondly, when you see how are you pursuing growth in your faith, the third thing is are you enduring regardless of how you feel? Are you enduring regardless of how you feel? Notice he doesn't just say running the race. He says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set before us. The truth is this, y'all. Endurance is a necessity in a race, right? Endurance is necessary. It's not always easy. I can remember whenever I was running in a race, I wasn't always happy about the run. I wasn't always feeling good. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes I didn't feel like keeping on running, but I did. You know, and I saw a lot of people who didn't have endurance and what that did. Actually, my very first cross-country meet, I remember I was at the starting line, and the guy shot the gun, and we took off running. And I remember this guy to my right just took off. And I was thinking, holy cow, I'm never going to get anywhere near that guy. He's going to be gone before I even get through the finish line. Well, if you've ever been to a cross-country meet, a lot of people are there at the beginning, and then typically you go somewhere where people can't see you. Well, that's where I saw this guy whenever he was laying on his back, breathing as hard as he possibly could. <sighs> Problem is, is he ran as hard as he could, but he had zero endurance. In our Christian faith, we're called to have endurance. We can take this as long and as far as you want to go, but I just want to tell you one thing about this. We have to endure in our pursuit of the Lord regardless of how we feel. Y'all, there are times whenever I open God's word and it's hard to read God's word. You know why? Because I just don't feel like it. I'm tired. A baby kept me up at two o'clock or four o'clock or, or even if it didn't happen, if, if I wake up and I'm just tired, I just don't feel like doing it or I'm praying and I'm like, man, Lord, I'm going to, let's just like, let's insta prayer, get past this real quick and let's just go on, you know, like, Lord, thank you for all these things, all six of these. Thank you. Amen. I mean, there are times whenever I'm just not feeling it, but here's the beauty of it is you're not called to feel it. You're called to have faith. Whenever you read God's word, I don't read God's word because of the feeling that it gives me. I read it because of, I have faith in what it will do. I have faith that if I read it, I will find God. I have faith that if I read it, it will transform me. Why? Because I have faith in what it says. And even though I don't always feel like it, I recognize that some of the best things in life will come even though you don't feel like it. Discipline is hard. It's never easy. But whenever you, whenever you are trained by discipline, it will produce righteousness. Actually, that's Hebrews 12, 11, right here, where he talks about how, how later discipline will, will bring a, a fruit of righteousness in your life if you are trained by it. And so what I want to tell you is you don't always feel like it. But I want you to think about this. Once again, it's a relationship. Imagine if I told my wife, baby, I want to take you out Tuesday night, 6 o'clock, we're going to go eat. Imagine if at 6 o'clock she walks up from the back, whatever she does, you know, hairspray or whatnot. That was my best impression. Sorry, guys. And, and she says, all right, why are you not dressed and you're still watching TV? What if I just said, baby, I just don't feel like it. 
I just don't feel like going out to eat with you now that I think about it. I'm just not feeling it. I would be feeling pain, right? That's the truth. That's the truth. I mean, in all seriousness, my wife and I, our first year of marriage, we understood a great way to resolve some differences. We would slap box, and she would always end by sucker punching me or hurting me somehow or another. She, she doesn't play around. But the whole point is the relationship with her is not about feeling. The relationship is that I love her. And if I really care about her, I'm going to spend time with her. And here's the truth about your relationship with the Lord is whenever you spend time in God's word, sometimes you don't feel it, but you have faith in what it will do for you. But even more so, you have faith in who you will meet, who you will see, who you will learn about. And what's interesting is you'll find the struggles that you have were in here as well. You find that the people in here aren't different than you are. They struggle. And you learn to relate to them and you see how they made it through and you're mutually encouraged by their lives. Hence what he just talked about in Hebrews 11, by the faith of all these people in the Old Testament. Whenever you pray to God, whenever we start thinking, this is me having a relationship with the Lord, just talking to God. And as a father, he wants to hear me. He wants me to talk to him. It changes the way you pray, regardless of whether I feel it or not. I'm a son and I know I need my father. Community, small group, whatever it is, I go to awaken not because of this, that, or the other. Even if I don't feel like it, I go because I know I need to be there. I go to small group because I know I need to be there to encourage people, to be encouraged. It's not whether I feel like it or not, but it's because I have faith in what it will do for me because I know what God's word says about it. You know, and the last thing I want to tell you or ask you is this. Are you looking to Jesus in faith? Are you looking to Jesus in faith? When you're struggling, are you looking to Jesus in faith? Look at verse 2. So he just finishes, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus. This idea of looking, it literally means gazing at him. Looking at Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who else to run to whenever your faith is struggling other than the founder and the perfecter? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When you're struggling, what do you run to? Y'all, we don't all run the Christian race well, but we're all great at running. We all run to something whenever we have pain. We all run to something when we need comfort. We all run to something every single day of our lives. And we're either going to learn to run to him who can actually satisfy or we're going to keep running to fleshly desires that will only gratify for the moment but never leave you truly satisfied in the end. And so we see the author saying here, we need to do all this, but in the end, the goal is to gaze at Jesus. He's the author. He's the perfecter. He's the one who started it all. I said this earlier, Colossians 2.6 says, Therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus, so walk in Him, rooted in Him, established in Him, built up in Him. Y'all, our faith is a relationship about Jesus, and the way that we grow, the way that we get out of these holes that we find ourselves in is we look at Him. We look at His example. How did He live? What did He do? And the beauty is, is he will relate to you. He is there for you. Think about it. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. 
You're never alone. Think about it. He says, all who are weary and heavy burdened, come here and you'll find rest for your weary souls. Do you want to see love? Look at 1 John 4. It talks all about how in this is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son. In Christ, we see the embodiment of what love looks like. You want to find love, run to Jesus. You want to find peace, run to Jesus. You want to find hope, run to Jesus. You want to find forgiveness, run to Jesus. You want to run this race well, run to Jesus. You want to endure, run to Jesus. And you know, I'm telling you, this has been probably one of the biggest things that has changed my life is recognizing my aim in life is to look as much like Jesus as I possibly can. Though I fail, he is still there. Though I struggle, he is still there. And y'all, he is there specifically for the times when we struggle. He doesn't run whenever we struggle. He's always there. Jude is a book we don't talk about too much, but Jude's a book in the Bible. It's just one chapter. But I want you to read how this book ends. And I want you to see the hope that we find in Jesus here. Jude 24 and 25 says this, Now to him, meaning Christ, who is able to what? Keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. If you're struggling, there's no better place than the foot of the cross. If you're struggling, there's no better person who can relate to you wherever you are than Jesus, who experienced everything we did yet without sin. Let's run to him and we'll find rest. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, once again, I thank you that you promise us that that whenever two or more are gathered, Lord, you're with us. And I pray that you're with us tonight, Lord. And, and I hope that all of us are together whenever we understand that we struggle. We struggle with weights in our life. We, we struggle with sin in our life. We struggle with, with not running to you the way we need to. We struggle with reading and praying and community. And God, we just struggle with, with relying on our feelings more than our faith. And Lord, I just pray that we would see tonight how much better you are than anything else in this world. Once again, Jesus, I thank you for saying, if we find you, we find life. Get Jesus and we get everything. If we don't have you, we get nothing. Lord, I pray that we run this race with purpose. I pray that we run this race with focus. I pray that we run this race recognizing that we don't have all the time in the world. That there's no better time than right now to say, I want to rejuvenate my faith. There's no better time than right now to say, I don't have faith. I've never placed my faith in you, Lord. I pray that we would respond to you the way that we need to. Recognizing that this life is not about us, it's about you. It's not about our name, it's about your name. It's not about our glory, it's about your glory. It's about who you are, God, what you've done for us. Open our eyes, open our ears, help us see, help us hear. God, change us because you're worth it. Everything about you is worth it. There's nothing in this world that we'd rather hold on to than you. 
Help us respond to you. Ask Lord in your name. Amen. Y'all, as the band plays and sings and leads us in worship, I just want to ask you to think about those four things I laid about, laid out, those questions. What are some sins or weights in your life? I want to ask you, will you repent? Will you think about how you need to manage your time different? Will you think about what in your life needs to change? Maybe what in your life needs to go? I want to ask you this. Are you running the race well? Are you seeking to grow in your faith? Is Bible reading and prayer and community just things that you do or things you know you're supposed to do or are they priorities in your life? Maybe tonight you need to set a time and a place where you meet with God every day. I want to encourage you to do that. If it's five minutes a day, that's, that's great. Start there. Sometimes we have to tiptoe before we can walk. But make plans. How are you going to spend time with Him? I want to ask, are you going to base your faith on a feeling? Are you going to base it on the Savior, on Jesus Christ? Will you commit tonight that whenever, you are feel, whenever you're not feeling it, that you'll be determined even more so to read? to pray, to memorize, to meditate, to be around community because that's when we need it most. And sometimes that's when we get the biggest blessing. And then lastly, I want to ask, will you look to Jesus? Y'all, none of this matters if we don't have a relationship with him. None of it matters. It doesn't matter if we've at some point in our life said, you know what, Jesus, I want to follow you. If we haven't done it, then what makes us think we're following him? If our life has never been about looking to Jesus, then what makes us think that we're really His? I want to encourage you tonight. Look to Jesus. Maybe tonight you need to say, I want to repent and give my life to Him. I want to surrender my life to Him. I want to encourage you to do that. You all have a card in your seat. Maybe you want to ask me a question. Maybe you want to meet up. Maybe there's a prayer request you want me to pray for. Just put that on the card. I'll be in the back. If you want to come talk to me, please do. Just respond sitting, standing, singing, praying, whatever it is. Respond as you feel led to.